And so would you rather go from a 2 out of 10 to a 5 out of 10 or a 7 out of 10 to a 10 out of 10? And the answer is pretty clearly you want to be a 10 out of 10 in something. Hello and a big welcome to Hot Sauce where we'll cover the hottest topics within sauce together with brilliant guests. Are you also curious about fast-growing companies and the people behind them? Welcome aboard. My name is Max Nyman. I'm the CEO of LimeGo, and this is an interactive podcast where you can give suggestions on upcoming guests and topics. You can also jump into discussions with other listeners by leaving comments or upvoting their suggestions. I'm determined to become one of the greatest within B2B sauce, which is why I invite thought leaders and pick their brains about how to scale their companies. However, there are so many fast-growing companies out there and new ones appearing all the time. I only know a fraction, and that's why I want to give you the opportunity to have an impact on the episodes and its content. Hit the link in the episode to interact and affect. Enough already, let's get to it. All right, warm welcome, Max. Hey, other Max. Pretty funny to have two Maxes on this podcast, huh? <laughs> yeah, this is going to be great. Uh, all right, so tell me which company are you at and what is your role? Yeah, so uh, I'm Max Greenwald. I'm CEO of Warmly. Warmly is an autonomous sales orchestration platform. At a high level, we get you warm leads. Warmly gets you warm leads. And uh, can you tell me a bit about the, the niche, the, the like audience, ICP, who are you for, so to say? Yeah, we're an SMB, B2B SaaS sales platform. And so we mainly work with sales and marketing teams who don't have a lot of budget to be able to hire a large SDR team. So we replace mm-hmm. a lot of the outbound and even inbound functions of your traditional SDRs. And so our perfect ICP would be a 100-person company, VP of sales with a 15 to 20-person sales team, uh, though we often work with founding teams, so founder-led sales, as well as larger mm-hmm. sales teams, uh, you know, company size up to about 500. Mm. Yeah, cool. Um, and I saw you post on LinkedIn the other day. Uh, it was about goal setting and like skills that you have now and skills that you want to have next year. And considering recording this on the 28th of December, I think it's a good theme to talk about like goal setting and next year and so on. Uh, can you tell me a bit about uh, the post that you uh, shared on LinkedIn and what it was uh, about? Yeah, well, happy holidays, everyone. And I uh, hope we're all gearing up for a mega 2024. 2023, of course, has been quite the hell of a ride for a lot of people, um, a pretty funky macro economy and a lot of people trying to figure out how to make it in an increasingly difficult world to sell. Um, yeah. Goal setting is a topic near and dear to my heart. I began my career at Google, uh, which are kind of infamous for the OKRs, objectives and key results, as a process or proxy for getting progress. Um, and my company, uh, we're a four years old startup. We've iterated a lot on what we consider to be effective and productive goal setting. And one of the hardest things for early stage pre-product market fit teams when you don't really know what the hell is going to work, you're pivoting around, you're blindly flailing around in the dark. It's pretty ridiculous to set a one-year goal, right? And say, oh, a year from now, we're going to be at a million in revenue and blah, 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 blah. No, like you have no fucking clue. Like don't even try to think about that. <laughs> yeah. um, and so we've seen as we've grown over time uh, that we needed to adjust how we think about goals. So I think phase one, when we were in the pivot stage, not really sure what to do, we found you know, in the very, very beginning when it was just the founders, Weekly goals were the way to go. Whole team, one room, a couple of objectives, you know, one week at a time. And then as we got a little bigger, maybe 10 people, we kind of had some revenue, we were figuring it out. We moved to monthly goal setting. And then now we're about 25 people and we have, you know, essentially product market fit and we're growing steadily. We do quarterly goal setting. And so that's just to say like changing up over time, I think is effective. But at Warmly, we like to do things a little bit different. And uh, actually there's a literal comma in the name of our company. So it's W-A-R-M-L-Y comma. And everyone says, well, why do you have a comma? That's so weird. And we say, ah, but now that you know that there's a comma, you'll never forget us. 
And so because <laughs> we like to do things a little bit differently, we take that same approach to everything we do, including goal setting. And so yeah. for goal setting, not only do we set a quarterly objective for the company and each department follows it up with their department level plans, but we also set personal skill objectives for the year. And I, yeah. as sort of the manager of my leadership team and my leaders as manager of their independent contributor teams, hold people accountable for development personally, because we've found over time that if you invest in your people and you uplevel your skills as an individual, that actually will lead to a more likely chance of you hitting your actual objectives and key results. Imagine if you're an employee at a company and I come to you and I say, you need to make me money. That's not as inspiring as I love you. I care (laughs) about you. I want your career to be successful. I want you to grow in your skills. And as a thank you for that, you're going to work hard and help us as a company accomplish our objectives. And I think that's like a nice merger of how you bring together employee productivity and then company-wide goals. And so to give you three examples, and then I'll turn it back over to you for any clarifications of how this skill setting comes into practice. Step one, we have everybody at the company list, what are all the skills that I need for this role and skills that I want in my career? And then you rate those on where you are today and where you want to be at the end of the year, scale of one to 10. Key thing here, you can never jump more than three points in one given year. It's ridiculous to say that you want to be a, you know, an enterprise seller and you're a three out of 10 and you're going to get to a 10 out of 10 in a year. No, no, no. It takes you a career to master yeah. that. Fair points. Yeah. yeah. The second thing we do, though, is we say, wait a minute, we can't just spend the whole year focusing on whatever skills you feel like. You need to match those to what the company needs from you. So, for example, yeah. I have an employee who he really wants to start his own company one day. And so he wants to develop a skill to do fundraising. Well, you know, his role is in growth, so he doesn't need to be fundraising right now. And so, sure, I can bring him along to my fundraising meetings and help him grow that skill. But to the company, the most important skill for him is content marketing. And so, you know, we rank that number one. And so you find this balance between the skills the employees want, the skills your company needs, and then you pick a few and circle those and say, we will not leave this year without crushing these skills for you. And then, um, you know, we find that that leads to employee happiness. So, again, sort of three pieces there are set the skills, figure out where you are and where you want to be, and figure out where the company needs you to be, and then pick the top few to go after as a company and uh, employee. Yeah. That's uh, really, really inspiring. And I, I saw it on the LinkedIn feed. And the first thing I did was to pick up an Excel sheet and just start to, <laughs> to crunch the numbers of the different columns. But uh, one thing that you didn't uh, mention now is the like lifelong skill as well, right? The uh, what do I, where do I want to end my career at, so to say? Great point. Yeah. So the last column there is how far do you want to get in your career? And it's easy to say, hey, I want to be a 10 out of 10 on every skill. I'm going to be this like legendary, you know, kind of character. But I don't know, look at Steve Jobs, right? Steve Jobs is a great example, somebody incredibly successful. If you think he was a 10 out of 10 on personal skills, you've clearly never listened to Steve Jobs talk. (laughs) And so I think it's important as an individual to figure out what am I going to be top 10% at in in my career and focus on say, okay, I want to be a 10 out of 10 in these few skills. And you can still focus on getting to a five out of 10 or a six out of 10 on others, but you can really think about where am I uniquely capable to stand out? And I remember this really great quote from Jess Lee at Sequoia, who um, she sort of had this really, really good moment where she said to me, you can only ever jump at most three points in a lifetime, I say a year, but in a lifetime on a particular (laughs) scale. And so would you rather go from a two out of 10 to a five out of 10 or a seven out of 10 to a 10 out of 10? And the answer is pretty clearly, you want to be a 10 out of 10 in something. And so that means that essentially you want to focus on what are your strengths and how can you be top 10% at that instead of what are my weaknesses and how can I be average at that? Because unless you're founding a company, in which case, great, it's, you need to be solid at all different kinds of skills in the beginning before you scale yourself out. 
if you're an individual contributor, if you're part of a specific vertical, if you're a marketer, a salesperson, the customer success, you want to be top 10% in a particular skill area that maximizes your success in your particular area of your career. Hmm. I think it makes a lot of sense to focus on the ones that you have the possibility to go up to 10, because then you can probably more likely hire a person that can help you elevate the other skills where you have maybe a two, three, four, or something like that. That's a big lesson that I've learned this year. I think one of the things that I got uh, in my sort of 360 reflective session with my folks in my leadership team is pretty unanimously, they told me that I am kind of a control freak and I'm a little bit too much of a micromanager and I wasn't giving them enough trust in the company. And what I realized Mm -hmm. was as the founder of the company, and I have two other co-founders as well, the three of us, we really wanted to do everything. And we thought, oh, we can't trust anyone else to do all the parts of, of you know the business. But then as you grow, you just physically can't do it all. There's not enough hours in the day and you're not a 10 out of 10 in those skills. And so, for example, my head of uh, revenue, uh, Keegan Otter, who's a fantastic sales leader, he said to me, Max, you hired me because I'm exceptional at driving revenue. And now you're telling me that I need to listen to your shitty plan for how to grow revenue. And I was like, yeah. oh, yeah. And so I think something that I really tried to work on toward the end of this year is um, delegating control into the areas in which my team is better than I am. And I would say that it doesn't necessarily mean where my team is better than me today, but it's where I believe my team can be better than me in the future. Warmly has a core value we call slope over y-intercept. And it's kind of like a math joke, which means that slope, the rate of change, should be more important and bigger than the y-intercept, which is where you start on a graph. And really what that translates to is it doesn't matter how much skills and experience you have somewhere. If you don't learn exceptionally fast, then the hustler who doesn't know jack shit about a skill will always learn more and faster than you and eventually will take you over in terms of ability to succeed. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. I like it. It's it's good because that also believes that you have faith in the team, right? Even if you don't have the skill now, maybe in a quarter you'll be able, able to elevate and uh, take the next step. And uh, on the topic that you uh, uh, and your your head of sales were a bit, uh, yeah, not aligned in terms of the the goals for December. Can you tell me a bit about the the bet that you uh, made? Yeah. So uh, as folks probably can't see right now, I'm literally wearing a onesie. It's a red checkered onesie that uh, my grandma gave me uh, about 10 years ago. And uh, I'm from Colorado and we in Colorado love the kind of like lumberjack look and feel. Um, (laughs) And so I love this onesie, but typically I wouldn't wear this onesie to a sales meeting. Um, but I like to keep things fun on our sales team. Uh, and our head of revenue, Keegan, is a really ambitious guy. And you know, when we brought him on, I had certain projections for the company, and he threw them out the window, and he said, no, 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 I've seen this playbook a couple of times. You guys are really on to something. Let's turn that curve and make it more exponential. And so as we closed out the year, as I've seen in the past for different pivots of Warmly, where we didn't really have an excellent product, December, Thanksgiving month, and November, holidays, Terrible time to sell, right? You know, everyone wants to punt until the new year. And so they're like, no, 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 we'll just talk then. And so I said, look, we're not going to have, you know, really good sales. And basically, we we were averaging about $100,000 in revenue per month heading into the holiday season. Um, Given the capacity of our team, we're really happy with that. And uh, I basically made him a bet. And I was like, hey, man, if you can get to over $100,000 in revenue in the month of December, when everyone's sleeping and nobody's buying anything, in the final month of the year, I will wear my red onesie. Uh, so our final week of the year, I'll wear my red onesie to all my sales meetings and I guess podcasts as well. And so I'm feeling comfy yeah. and cozy and pretty freaking happy because we're likely to hit about $125,000 in ARR this month alone. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, really good. And uh, how many meetings have you had it in, in at the moment so far? <laughs> I guess I started wearing it uh, yesterday because we had the uh, holiday off. So I've had three sales meetings yesterday. I have two today. Yeah. 
and then hopefully a couple of closing calls on Friday. <laughs> That's good. But it's a good icebreaker, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, one of our products is, uh, importantly, is an icebreaker for your Zoom calls. So one of our products, it's a free product. You can get it online. You can get it at getnametags.com, uh, but it's a name tag for your Zoom meeting. You can essentially add your name, fun facts about yourself, your weather, your time zone, fun facts about you hovering in front of you in a meeting. And really, it's just to break mm. the ice, right? So um, I, I think we keep it really fun. And actually, it's funny. You might see on LinkedIn, Keegan Otter, who's our head of revenue that I was talking about, he wears a cowboy hat to his sales calls. Um, <laughs> and, you know, man after my own heart coming from the West uh, in the United States. And uh, first thing people ask, what's up with a cowboy hat? And he says, well, we're half the price of our competitors and double the fun. Nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the, the meeting is on, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, all right. And I want to talk a bit about uh, your background because, uh, as you mentioned, Google and also uh, YC, right? Yeah. Uh, and the, maybe tap into a bit, like uh, you mentioned OKRs at Google, but also the the journey at YC. Was it Warmly that you were enrolled with? Yeah. So the company's always been named Warmly. It's just had different uh, different pivots and products over the years. Um, yeah. I guess to, to take us back to, to when I was a kid, I mean, I was a uh, you know, grew up a big overachiever. I was big into chess, you know, big into coding, um, really, really wanted to succeed. And I think that that drive to be successful led me down the wrong path for several years. That has only been course corrected when I basically started my own company. And I think that in the beginning, the drive to succeed came from an ego-driven attitude of, I want to be the best so people will like me. And I think over time, as I built my company, and as everybody has beat me down and said, you're never going to succeed, it's not going to work, we don't want to buy this, we don't want to fundraise from you, et cetera, et cetera, they're giving money, um, that ego was beaten down to a pulp. And I sort of shifted my mindset from, I don't want to succeed to make everybody like me, I want to succeed so I can intrinsically be proud of what I've done. And so that, mm -hmm. that really, that shift happened when I transitioned from you know, working in my career at Google to starting my own company. And so, you know, I went to university and then I started at Google. I worked for three years as a product manager where I met one of my co-founders, Karina. She and I actually, as a side project, built April Fool's Day jokes for Google Maps. And so okay. we basically ignored our jobs and made some funny projects and realized we love working together. And then we joined mm -hmm. a program called On Deck, uh, which is a professional development program for early stage founders, where we met our third co-founder, Alan. And uh, Alan's a super scrappy hustler, can build anything in a weekend type And uh, one funny story about him was he really wanted to build restaurant tech originally. And so he quit his job as a banker, learned how to code, and then he purchased a restaurant in Texas. And it was a hot soup restaurant, a pho restaurant. And his idea was, I'm going to build software once I decide how I can run a restaurant and be successful. But the big mistake is it's very hot in Texas. And so a hot soup restaurant is a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that didn't work out. And then he came to join us. And the three of us started our, our journey of starting Warmly. And we've pivoted five times in the last four years. Um, yeah. But over those twists and turns, we've had some really good, exciting moments that are really high and some low moments that suck. And so some yeah. of the high moments have been, um, you know, going through this on-deck program, then getting into Techstars. So we went through Techstars Boulder. The pandemic hits. That was a low moment, very scary. We didn't think we could raise yeah. any money. And so we applied to YC. Uh, we also were able to raise our seed round because it turns out we could raise money. And so we went to YC at the same time as raising our seed round led by NFX, James Courier. And um, it was really a fun time. Uh, we were, worked remotely from Hawaii uh, while building in wow, uh, NYC. Nice. Uh, and in those days, yeah. we were building a job change tracker. So track the job changes of your customer contacts to new roles. So again, getting you warm leads. But back in the day, we sucked at scraping LinkedIn. And so the business wouldn't scale. And so we had to pivot again. 
Um, yeah. And so a big low moment, you know, heading into the year of you know, COVID, we said, okay, let's try to pivot and find something that would work during COVID. So we decided to help salespeople on their sales calls and Zoom meetings because everybody was on Zoom. And so we built this name tag product that I was describing earlier. And again, just sort of the ups and downs, twists and turns. And uh, off the back of that, we were able to raise our Series A, um, but then realized that uh, with the pandemic ending, uh, we weren't really able to sort of sell this product at scale. So we made that free. Um, and, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of users there and we have some enterprise customers and stuff, but generally it's yeah. um, more of a nice to have product than a need to have product. And then finally we pivoted sort of back to where we started, which was finding warm leads. This time, very good at scraping LinkedIn, very good at mass data collection, very good at sort of analyzing intense signals. Um, and we yeah. ended up where we are today, which is building this autonomous sales orchestration platform in Warmly. Again, that was sort of a lot of ups and downs and crazy points, but yeah. you know, along what the way, journey. we've hired people, fired people, uh, we've raised money, yeah. not raised money, um, gone the wrong direction several times, and all in <clears throat> really was able to battle my ego to the death and shift from needing to succeed and achieve for excellence sake to being able to want to succeed and achieve because it makes me happy in, intrinsically that I'm adding good and value to the world and helping our customers to land more business in a tough time. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> clearly a bumpy ride and uh, a lot of ups and downs. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm curious to know more about the, the journey from Google. You mentioned a bit the uh, OKRs, but uh, for example, can you tell me some of the key learnings that you consider that you have today, thanks to perhaps Google or the, uh, the YC journey and everything that has helped you in building warmly towards where it is? Where yeah. is that? So I would say probably the only thing I ever took from Google was this OKR process, which you can read in a book in five minutes. Um, okay. I'm happy to just shit <laughs> on Google. And again, I appreciate that they employed me for a couple of years. I was terrible at my job. Um, but I don't really believe that somebody who spends their career or time in a big tech company has the same guts and ability to drive uh, a startup company. And it isn't because mm. maybe they can't do it. It's just from, I guess, experience I've seen the most successful people are the hustlers who start early and go into startups. And so... Most of my lessons probably have come from the accelerator programs, Techstars and Y Combinator. Hmm. I think some of the key lessons that I've learned from both of those, and by the way, each taught me different things. There's a post we put out, you can get on our blog, about the difference between Techstars and Y Combinator being the sort of two foremost prominent accelerator programs, and they each have different ethos and vibes. Techstars is a lot more about developing yourself as an individual, as a person, and YC is more about how do you get successful at fundraising and make your business an absolute savage mm -hmm. business that can make as much money as possible. And I think both yeah. are important. It depends on what your journey as a founder is like and what you find to be important as you grow. Um, but maybe I'll give two lessons from each. So in Techstars, where the focus is more about you as an entrepreneur, I learned two things. Um, one was about how you sell yourself when you're fundraising. So less about the business, but more about how you portray your pros, cons, qualities as an individual person. And the biggest sort of teaching they taught us was stay really freaking humble and show that you're coachable. And so a lot of founders that brag, you know, they're like, oh, I'm the smartest guy out there. We're going to be super successful. And of course, you have to believe in yourself and make sure that you're going to be successful. But if you're a VC thinking about backing an early stage founder and they hear that you're full of yourself, they're not going to want to back you. But if you're somebody that says, look, I'm new. I've never done this shit before, but I'm learning every single day. I have slope over Y intercept. I'm willing to learn and be coached by you as my VC. You've seen it a lot before. I'll put in the 100-hour work weeks, but you teach me. That, I think, was a really critical and valuable lesson. <clears throat> mm, the second thing was the power of community. And so one of the key things that I coach entrepreneurs on, which Techstars teaches you, is every single week, email every single freaking person you meet and know your progress as a company. 
And every single week, you're going to be held accountable toward making progress. And so we built a community. And one of our blog posts you can check out is about how Warmly Now has over a thousand people on our monthly, not weekly anymore because we're a bit bigger, community mailing yeah. list. These are beyond just investors. These are people who are friends, foes, customers, um, just people in my network that I found on LinkedIn. And every week, uh, not every month, I guess, I tell them, hey, here's how much money we made. Here's how much money we lost. Here's the things, the good things that have happened. Here's the bad things that have happened. And what we've created is a group of people who root for us. They want us to be okay. successful. They care about us. And that community is essential in building a B2B SaaS company today. So those are the two things that Techstars taught me. Any questions on that? Otherwise, I can jump to the two things that YC taught me. Yeah, just uh, on the second one. I mean, the, the community, uh, it started off with maybe friends and family and VC. And then it just grew, 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 grew. And now you have, what is it, 1,000 people every month. And you it's basically like a sort of a, a company update to keep yourself pushing you to the uttermost limit. Yep, that's right. And if you want to remind me after this, mm. Max, I'm happy to share the template that we use and you can post yeah, please. folks to use. Um, yeah, yeah, I think uh, it's exactly what you said. I, I uh, really try to, at the end of each month, go through my meetings that I had that month and pick out the top 30 or 40 random people that I met with. Again, customers, prospects, yeah. closed loss deals as well. And I just say, hey, look, you know, and by the way, it's always opt out, not opt in. I say, yeah. I, put you on our, I put you on our update. Uh, and if you want to opt out, let me know and I'll take you out. Uh, but I'd like you to follow along with the company's progress. And we always at the top list two asks that take two minutes or less. And the idea is that we're trying to ask our community to help us succeed as a company because it takes a village to make any startup successful. And so typically we get 30 to 40 responses every update where people are going to intro us to customers, help post about us on LinkedIn, you know, whatever we need to be successful. Wow. And how long have you had that? Is it since day one or? Yep. I have over 100 updates in four years. Wow. That's really cool. Nice. Now uh, that's uh, awesome and a uh, cool, uh, cool lesson from, uh, from Techstars. So let's move on to the other ones. Yeah. So uh, going through Y Combinator was a great experience. We actually were the first ever remote YC batch. And uh -huh. unfortunately with the pandemic, we weren't able to be in person in Silicon Valley where I got to imagine it's even more fun. Uh, but my co-founders and I moved to Hawaii and we sat there on the beach and yes, we were working like our asses off, but we took some swims as well. And we were just hustling and grinding on our company. And I think that YC drills in two key important lessons that I recommend for founders. The first is holding yourself accountable toward metrics-based goals with outcomes. So for example, if you were to say that our month's goal is to make progress on our product or chat with some customers, that's bullshit. Like, fuck that. Yeah. Uh, you need to deliver actual tangible outcomes that are difficult. And so you might change that to, we're going to ship four top requested features from customers and hear the feedback from them. Or we're going to land $25,000 monthly recurring revenue at all costs. And yeah. holding yourself accountable to that and your whole team and slapping yourself on the wrist if you're not getting there is key. And if you're getting toward the end of the month and you're not close to your goal, then you better stay up late. You better work nights and weekends and you better hack your way through getting to success because you should be setting ambitious goals for yourself and holding yourself accountable. And it's a bit more of a ruthless take, but I think you have to have that savagery if you're going to succeed as a founder, even if you're going to be pivoting around. So that was the first lesson. Mm. Can I ask you a question about the, the uh, like timeline on those metric goals? Just smart goals. You talk about the, the timeline and everything. Was there anything in particular that they talked about there, like monthly, quarterly, or? Yeah, I mean, I'll just give you my rough rule of thumb about what we went through, but it really just depends on what progress and stage you're at as a company. But during YC, it was weekly. So it was okay. every single week you report to and give progress on what you're doing. Um, after YC, we switched to biweekly. Uh, within a year, we were at monthly. 
And then after about two years, we switched to quarterly. So, you know, it's kind of, mm-hmm. it's about the changing up the horizon. And, um, you know, the key thing, of course, is you don't want to get lazier and slower. You want to make sure that your goals are more ambitious each time you extend the timeline and the horizon. Uh, but we just think it's, it's better um, to be successful. And by the way, you shouldn't have a bunch of goals. Warmly has one single OKR for the entire 25 person company, a single objective and three key outcome-based metricized key results that would be, that would mean if we hit them, that we made the objective successful. And uh, one sort of leadership coach named Christian taught us this a couple, maybe like, eh, like a year ago. He said, um, your company is on one side of a foggy river. And if you get to product market fit, then you get to the other side of the river. But you don't know how to get to the other side of the river because it's foggy. And all you can see is a few feet in front of you. You don't know how long the river is. You don't know how fast the current is. All you can see is a few feet in front of you. And each quarter, you can take one stepping stone, one objective and a couple key results. And you can place that stepping stone forward. Now, you know you're not going backwards, but you don't know if you're going to the left or the right. But every month, every quarter, you can take one stepping stone closer to getting to the other side of the foggy river. And you can't see yeah. three stepping stones ahead. You can only see one stepping stone ahead. And every quarter, you can then reevaluate and say, okay, we're now in the middle of the river, but we're not there yet. Let's take one more step. Yeah. And so every quarter, our leadership team gets together and we establish that next stepping stone through our OKR. And that's how we sort of keep going on the path to crossing the river. And I don't think we're at the other side of the river yet. <laughs> Not yet. Okay. No, but that's really, really good. And I think it's good to break it down because then it's more uh, attainable, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, cool. Uh, what was the other uh, learn, lesson learned from uh, YC? Yeah, so we've covered two from Techstars. And now we're going to cover two from YC. Um, both, okay. again, great accelerator programs. Uh, the first lesson we talked about was about being hardcore in your metrics. And the second lesson I think that YC taught us um, was probably about the power of Customer, 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 and then customer, 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 customer. And what this means basically is that there's only two jobs in a startup. You're either coding or you're talking to customers. And if you're coding, you should probably be talking to your customers. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) this is a really important thing because a lot of, especially nerdy technical founders, fall into the trap of trying to just build, build, build. And they talk to a customer and the customer says, oh, I want this or that. And they go, great, let's run into the woods and spend four months coding it. And then we'll be done and it'll be great. And there's two reasons why they do that. One is because they take what their customer is saying for face value, which is stupid. The customer doesn't really know what they want, but they are important. And two, they just are sad, scared, and anxious when they hear from the customer, no, I don't want to buy that. And so people shy away from these difficult conversations because they're better at just coding than hustling on LinkedIn, DMing people, hopping on conversations, et cetera. And this isn't just for founders, by the way. This is a lesson that I think applies to any person at a company, whatever role you're in, whether it's sales, marketing, engineering, customer success, is that we tend to fall back to the behaviors that are easy for us to accomplish because we can feel good and accomplish them. So for example, if you're an engineer, you're like, well, I can go talk to a customer or I know I can finish this feature if I just sit there and code. Or let's say you're a revenue person and you're like, oh, I'm just going to write this email sequence you know, because I don't want to go talk to customers. I just want to, I know I can accomplish this goal. And so we fall back or we regress into things that are easy for us. But what YC taught us was whatever the most difficult thing is that you don't want to do, hint, it's probably talking to customers, go do it every single day. And so why do I wake up every single day, even at the stage we're in, and I spend two hours on LinkedIn setting up meetings for myself? They're not, you know, meetings for SDRs, you know, to like go close sales deals, they're because I always need to be listening and talking to my customers, my prospects to figure out what they need and trying to get to the underlying layer of what are the key problems they're facing and what can I build that they'll pay money for that will solve those problems. 
And so I think the key lesson there is just keep talking to customers. And if you're not talking to, I don't know, a minimum of 10 prospects or customers a week, you're probably doing something wrong as an early stage founder. Hmm. And can you tell me a bit more about that? Because you have the community, right? So you can like do outreach. Do you get a lot of replies from that? Or do you have your own maybe focus group with selected customers to get that like input fast? How do you tighten up that loop? Yeah, great question. I think it depends on whether you're a B2B business, a B2C business, whether you're selling to SMB or enterprise. There are different tactics to kind of maximize success and who you talk to. I don't have a one-size-fits-all approach. We've tried a lot of things over the years. But to list some examples for people out there who are wondering, how do I talk to more customers? Try some of these things. So build a community, ask them for intros or talk to them. Use Connect the Dots, so ctd.ai. It's a platform that you connect your LinkedIn and your email, and it gives you a network graph of your shortest path, warm introductions, and to whoever you want to reach. It's kind of like a Mm -hmm. LinkedIn sales navigator, but for founders and user researchers. So use that. Um, we also use userinterviews.com, uh, just a company out there that helps arrange meetings for prospects and people you might want to talk to. It's a little bit expensive, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a hack to be able to talk to people faster. We use Winter Tests, so W-Y-N-T-E-R. It's a software that allows you to put up landing pages and get people who you want to review and nitpick apart the language that you put out there. Um, and then finally, turn every close one and close loss deal into a user research call. So right after mm-hmm. my customer signs, they're in that euphoric moment of the happiness of I can't wait to use the software. I call them up and I say, do a 15 minute interview with me where I'm gonna ask you things like, why did you sign? What are you hoping to solve? Can, how can we improve our sales process? Stuff like that. And then close loss deals. I say, why did we lose? Which competitor did you go with? Stuff like that. Um, so those are things more on the sales and marketing side. Uh, but again, just yeah. sort of examples of processes you can use to be successful. And of course, if you're selling more upmarket to mid-market or enterprise sales, that's where your kind of customer, um, what do they call it? Like customer advisory boards are successful. So you can have folks who meet with you quarterly to talk about new things and features and get them to talk to one another. Hmm. Uh, a lot of good advice. But uh, on the close one, close lost, would you say that you have a good maybe hit rate or like uh, to, to talk to the people and get the feedback in? As you said, we're in the, the happy state. Uh, how responsible are people to actually set aside those 15 minutes, would you say? Everybody talks to the CEO. Um, okay. So uh, <laughs> not a problem that I have, but uh, if it's you know another role, maybe it could be a little more difficult. You can certainly incentivize mm. them uh, with a gift card. But um, yeah, everyone, everyone, says, everyone talks, everyone loves talk. Uh, and of course, they appreciate that I'm trying to up-level myself and learn. And so I come from a, from a very humble mm. position. I say, hey, look, our sales process can be improved. We're an early stage company. We don't know everything. We're so lucky to count you as a customer. Um, we'd be really honored yeah. and appreciate if you could hop on a call with us and just learn. We can learn from you. Um, so yeah. yeah, I don't think it's that hard to get them on a call. I think the harder part is what's the right questions to ask yeah. to actually get the true feedback out. Because you know, for example, one of the questions I ask is, if I doubled the price of our uh, software, would you have still bought? And nobody wants to say yes, right? Because everyone's like, oh shit, they're going to jump my price up next yeah. year. <laughs> um, but you know, asking the right questions there, where. You're sort of getting around that and being clear with them that you're not going to jump the price on them. You can get what you need. Uh, so I think yeah. that's that's the real skill and art is in figuring out what's the right questions to ask. Hmm. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And once again, the, the stay humble part. Uh, same for VCs as for customers, right? Yep, exactly. Hmm. A lot of good advice. Thanks for, for sharing. And uh, I want to jump into a segment called Quick Ones. So I'm going to shoot some quick uh, questions. Yep. And... Uh, First of all, uh, what is your favorite tool in your revenue tech stack? Completely biased. It's Warmly, my own company. Um, so I'll start with that and I'll give you another answer. But uh, Warmly's platform connects all your existing go-to-market tools. 
and then automates outbound. So we can automatically email LinkedIn um, and chat message on your website. Uh, anybody who comes to your website or is a warm lead because they might have changed jobs or are showing intent. And so we book 40% of our own meetings through our own tool, which is pretty crazy. Um, well, yeah. yeah. So obviously my own company, I'm biased. Uh, but my yeah. second favorite tool, if I had to pick, is called LetterDrop. L-E-T-T-E-R-D-R-O-P. Founded by a YC founder, a guy named Parthi Loganon. And um, what's cool about LetterDrop is you're able to essentially automatically push content across all your channels so you connect linkedin <clears throat> medium uh youtube um oh. you know blog posts whatever you write one piece of content yeah. they use ai to chop it up into video images uh, blog posts uh short form long form and then you hit publish and it goes and then uh, you can actually connect all of your employees linkedin accounts and automatically like uh posts from um, your whole company. So for example, I really? post on LinkedIn, Whoa. I automatically get 30 likes because my whole company just likes it automatically. Hmm. Ah, that's a very efficient way of creating the buzz in every in, in every post, in every channel, basically. Yep, exactly. They're kind of like a yeah. warmly, but on the marketing side. Mm. Ah, cool. All right. And uh, we talked a bit about um, uh, like the journey and everything, but if you were to give one sales advice, what would you give? Sales advice to a leader, to an AE, or an SDR? Uh, to an AE. My sales advice to an AE is do whatever you can to get the prospect's phone number and text them fun selfies about yourself throughout the deal cycle. And I think <laughs> that showing humanness and connection and building rapport through being goofy is really effective. And so this onesie, it's not the first time I wore this onesie, because sometimes I'm texting myself, I'm texting my prospects, pictures of me in a onesie. And the goal is just to say, look, man, I'm human. And you're not going to buy my software because I'm just a good person and I'm fun and I'm human. You're going to buy my software if it's useful. But I can make sure that we close this deal faster. And I can don't have to negotiate as hard with you if you see me as a human being that you're going to build a relationship with if we start working together. Makes a lot of sense. And I think that's uh, actually... a. Uh one of the easiest way to just uh, be more personal in the outreach send uh, memes or, or selfies and uh, voice memos or whatever it, uh, it is that works yep mm. cool and uh, one thing that you use uh, ChatGPT for ooh great question um, well it's the holiday season uh, and so this isn't really sales advice this is my personal life but um, I like to do rhyming poems uh, for my gifts so for example I'm giving my grandma uh, a really fancy bar of soap uh, you know in a couple of days for, for the holidays and so I go to ChatGPT and I say, I'm getting my grandma a gift. It's a funny looking bar of soap that I found in Berlin and, um, yeah. you know, make it a funny rhyming poem. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's um, good. That's a good advice, one, by the way. But, but the real one within Warmly actually yeah. is that uh, we uh, use an AI chatbot uh, to chat with people who visit our customers on our own website. So, for example, if you visit a website, we de-anonymize who you are. We feed the AI who you are, what your company is, and what your title is, and what we could say to sell you. And then you can train it. So I'll put in, okay, well, Warmly is kind of a fun company, so say more jokes. And then um, it'll, and then also keep it to 10 words or less because people like short kind of phrases. And then our AI chat will message prospects automatically mm -hmm. when they hit our site. I'm actually standing on your website right now, and it says, uh, "Hey, I've noticed you're on the pricing page. And need any help? So <laughs> let's uh, let's get it uh, coaching." There you go. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, okay, and uh, one advice that you would give for other founders out there who might not have yet seen the uh, other side of the river because it's too much fog, what would you uh, give uh, for advice? Um, start a gratitude practice within your company. Uh, so once a month, my whole company gets together and we give per person three gratitudes from everybody else on the team as to what they appreciate or are grateful for about that person. The gratitude practice is just to make yourself, your employees, everybody feel just a little bit better about how fucking hard it is to not get the other side of the river. And so uh, what I love about this practice is it is just a time in which we feel close to the team and you find out what other people appreciate that you've done because maybe you didn't close that customer, maybe you're pivoting, maybe the feature's not working, maybe you have a big bug in your code. But when you hear your coworkers say, I'm grateful for your resilience and never giving up and staying up late to resolve that customer issue, then you feel really good and know that your efforts are seen by somebody and appreciated by someone. Hmm. And how, how would you set that up more in detail? Once a month, three things with the, like the whole team or, or how do you do it? Depends on company size. So uh, for the first yeah. uh, 12 people, we did it every single week. So every Friday afternoon, we got together on a call for half an hour and we, went, we, we pulled a name out of a hat and that person is in the hot seat. And so you can come off mute because we're a remote company And you can say, you know, I'm grateful for X for you this time. And we do three gratitudes all around. Each time you receive a gratitude, this is the hardest part. Mm -hmm. You as an individual need to accept that gratitude. And it's really hard because people don't like to believe that they are awesome people, that they are worthy of love and appreciation. And so you have to come off mute and you say to the whole company, thank you, it is true. And so you have to accept, (laughs) thank you, it is true. I really appreciate oh, it. I'm really grateful for that great sales deal that you closed because you hustled your ass off to get there. Thank you. Mm. It is true. And so you accept three gratitudes and you move to the next person. Um, now that we're bigger, we do it monthly. And sometimes we do gratitude sessions where people give gratitudes to you and you say, thank you, it is true. And then sometimes we do gratitudes where you come off mute and you share with the whole company what's one thing in your personal life and one thing in your work life that you're grateful for yourself for. And that's also hard. Because, you know, saying, you know, I'm grateful for the fact that I care about my relatives and family and I give them really funny JatGPT poem holiday gifts every winter. <laughs> yeah. is something that feels like weird and braggy, but actually, no, it's something that I am grateful for as a quality in myself. And so, uh, yeah, those are just some ways to do and handle a gratitude session. Mom, I think it's really good. And uh, I really like the thank you. It is true part because then you can actually accept it and not just like wave it away and move on to the next one. Right. Yep. Cool. Uh, one last uh, question is, uh, can you name a uh, person that inspires you? Hmm. Uh, I think recency bias always takes hold, meaning the person you like hear from Rose recently means a lot. Uh, but this right. shout out I'll give to somebody named Yusra Mardini. Um, she is a Syrian refugee who fled Syria uh, to have a better life. And she's a very, very good swimmer. In her journey from Syria to the Greece coast, her lifeboat uh, stopped working. And she had to get out and swim across the Mediterranean Ocean to drag her and the other 20 people on board to success. And because she's such a good swimmer, in 2016, when the Brazilian uh, Olympics happened, the Rio Olympics, they created a refugee Olympic team where she was able to compete in the Olympics in swimming. And so it's just such an inspirational story of somebody seeking a better life to go from war torn Syria and poverty to be able to get to the Olympics and succeed is really, really cool. 
And uh, yeah. I saw her in person recently at a conference in Dubai. I was very inspired by her. And uh, if other folks want to check her out, you can watch her Netflix documentary or doc. It's a, a scripted film, but film about her life and experience called The Swimmers. Wow. Cool. Ah, thank you. And all right, let's uh, leave the, the quick ones. And uh, uh, I'm going to try to uh, to summarize a bit with my key takeaways. There's a lot, but uh, one thing is definitely to set up some sort of gratitude session. And depending on the size, do it uh, with the good frequency. But to get the thank you, it is true before you move on to the next one. And uh, another one is definitely to set up a community to uh, like put yourself accountable for what you're doing and also tell about what's working and what's not working. And I think the the third takeaway is the customer obsession, uh, which I think is a classic reminder that you think that now I'm in a good state, we don't have to talk to, to customers for a while, but to constantly put yourself back out there. Uh, yeah, I'm going to try to limit it to those uh, three, but I have a lot of notes on the side here. Awesome. <laughs> Well, Max, thank you so much for having me on. It was really great to talk to you. Thank you, Max. And uh, one last question. Would you have any advice for people for me to invite? Any names that you want to drop? Sauce people. Ooh, I like it. Um, yes, I can make some intros after this. Uh, but Bethany, uh, who is a founder of SendSpark, a really cool tool mm -hmm. that allows you to have incredibly personalized AI-built video messaging for your prospects. Uh, she'd be really good yeah. to have on the site. Um, Second, happy to uh, try to make an intro to Will Allred, uh, who is the founder of Lavender um, mm, yeah. on on, uh, on LinkedIn um, and could be a pretty good kind of person to have on. Um, and then uh, I guess, uh, do you want anybody on who is like, they basically, like, what are the criteria? Do they have to be in, in SaaS or? I mean, uh, the, the audience is for SaaS people. So either a thought leader within SaaS or some sort of consultancy service around it. Would what you do you have in mind? A VC on the air? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I'll introduce you to a good friend of mine named Finn Murphy, uh, who's the founder of Nebular Ventures. The guy's an absolute mm -hmm. savage, and uh, he'll have some really spicy, spicy hot takes on the future of B2B SaaS, which is the space. Well, yeah, really interesting. Awesome. Thanks a lot. And uh, Max, uh, it was a pleasure talking to you with your onesie, and uh, I hope you have a comfortable uh, holiday season now and uh, wrap up the air in the best way possible. So uh, thanks a lot for joining me. Thanks, Max. See you. Take care. Bye. All right. Shifting the focus to you that's been listening, just want to remind you that this is an interactive podcast. So hit the link in the episode description. There, you can join the discussion with other listeners and comment on episodes. You can also submit ideas for upcoming guests, topics, or simply upvote what other people have already suggested. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it to someone that might be curious, friends, coworker, or that random person in your LinkedIn feed. Last but not least, leave a rating if you enjoyed it. While we're at it, add me on LinkedIn to see short video clips from the podcast and enjoy the rest of the day. Gotta hit the phone. One call closer while sitting at home. I'm in sales. I love hitting the phone. Gotta hit the phone.